Hello, friends. Welcome to Emmanuel Cares, Casting Nets, and Raised with Jesus podcast. Yes, three podcasts hosting the same content, wonderful content, as we are looking through the book of Job together in an online way. You don't need a Bible sheet of any kind. Just sit back, listen to me read from the Evangelical Heritage Version, and discover together how we can find peace through life's unpredictable paths. Job 15 to 21. Yeah, you heard me right. Six chapters, one lesson. This is the entire second discourse of the three friends and Job uh, in the book of Job. And one of the temptations we're going to have and we struggle with when we're looking at the three friends is we're looking at them and we're going, I'm not like those guys, right? I would never handle a conversation like they did. And the pattern in the conversation that we're going to see with the three friends is that they are going to hear and listen to Job less and less, and they're just waiting for Job to start to stop talking so that they can talk. And at the same time, they're going to get a lot more personal to Job, a lot more finger-pointing. And does that ever happen in our conversations uh, when they're heated, right? <laughs> when there's a lot of emotion in them? Yeah, when people doesn't seem like they're listening to us, when a person doesn't seem like they're listening to us, it can get pretty heated. We can get to the darker side of our nature. We're going to see the darker side of the three friends, and we're going to see Job uh, respond to the three friends in chapters 15 to 21. We're going to see Job really uh, two things at once. We're going to see uh, his sinfulness. Uh, let's put it that way. We're going to see that Job is really struggling with the idea that God is treating him the way that he is. And at the same time, he's going to have a huge hope uh, that there is an advocate for him in heaven who is calling on his behalf, who's going to be his redeemer. We're, yes, we're going to get to the, the best, the high point of the book of Job today in Job chapter 19. So grab your favorite beverage. So if you've got coffee, whatever kind of beverage, grab it and grab a lot of it because we've got six chapters to cover today and join me in a sip right now. Now, you might be asking, uh, I see that coffee cup, and it seems like it's the same coffee cup every time we have a Bible class online together. Does he ever wash that coffee cup? And to answer your question, I'll say, I don't use any milk or any kind of additives to my coffee. Okay, anyway, that's enough of an answer. You can figure it out uh, on yourself whether Pastor uh, washes his cup or not. We're in chapter 15 of the book of Job. Uh, the second discourse, Eliphaz, the older of the, um, of the three friends, he is going to actually be the one that's going to appeal to uh, his age and the elders and that Job should listen to his elders. So, uh, without further ado, let's get right in. Job chapter 15, beginning at verse one. Eliphaz the Temanite responded, does a wise man answer with windy bluster? Does he fill his belly with a hot east wind? Does he support his arguments with useless talk, with words that provide no benefit? Will you even tear down reverence? Will you, hin you hinder thoughtful reflection in the presence of God? Your guilt instructs your mouth. You choose deceptive language. Your own mouth condemns you, not mine. Your own lips testify against you. Were you the first man to be born? Were you brought forth before the 
the hills? Do you listen in on the council meetings of God? Do you lay claim to all wisdom for yourself? What do you know that we do not know as well? What do you understand that we do not? The gray-haired and the aged are on our side, men older than your father. Are the consolations of God too small for you? Do you think nothing of the gentle words spoken to you? Isn't that ironic, gentle words? Anyway, sorry, getting back to the text, verse 12. Why does your heart carry you away? Why do your eyes flash with such anger? Why do you turn your spirit against God? Why do you allow such words to pour out of your mouth? What is man that he should be pure? Or one born of a woman that he would be declared righteous? If God does not trust in his holy ones, if even the heavens are not pure in his eyes, how much less man who is repulsive and corrupt, who drinks down injustice like water? Let me instruct you. Listen to me. This is what I have seen. Let me tell you about it. This is what wise men have declared, what wise men who hid nothing of what they had received from their fathers, to whom alone this land was given at a time when no foreigners were present in their midst. Through all his days a wicked man writhes in pain, though the whole number of years stored up for a tyrant, throughout the whole number of years stored up for a tyrant. Terrifying sounds echo in his ears. In peacetime, the plunderer arrives. The wicked man does not believe that he will return from darkness. He is sentenced to the sword. He wanders around looking for food and asks, where is it? He knows what a day of darkness is at hand. Pressure and distress terrify him. They overpower him like a king ready to attack. Because he has stretched out his hand against God, and he has been arrogant toward the Almighty, he charges at him defiantly with a thick shield, Though now his face is covered with its fat and its hips bulge with lard, he will live in ruined cities, in abandoned houses reduced to rubble. Uh, just pause there for a second. Uh, it's a reflection of the worldview of the, in the times of Job, that people who were, had a full faith with lots of fat on it or, or their hips bulge with lard. That's one way to talk about a beer gut. Um, it, that was a sign of wealth, of, of, uh, of luxury. And so, uh, Eliphaz, as he's talking to Job, is, is reminding him, Job, even though the, the rich are sometimes in luxury, it's not going to last. They're going to receive judgment, earthly judgment, from a, a righteous God. And, of course, we know that this is completely not true. This is not true at all. God does judge the wicked. Their judgment day is coming, but it may not happen here on earth. Okay, back to the text, verse 28. He will live in ruined cities, in abandoned houses, reduced to rubble. He will no longer be rich. His wealth will not last. His possessions will no longer cover the ground. He will not escape from darkness. Flames will dry up his shoots with a breath from God's mouth. He will depart. He should not trust in useless things. He should not fool himself. His only reward will be useless things. Before his time, he will be paid in full. His palm branches will not be green. His grapes will be shaken from the vine before they are ripe. He will be like an olive tree that loses its blossoms. In the end, the community of the godless produces nothing, and fire consumes the tents of those who take bribes. They conceive trouble and give birth to disaster. Their womb produces treachery. Some low blows from Eliphaz toward the end. The implication that, uh, Job, the fate of your family is because you are wicked. The fate of your family is because of something you have done, Job. Job, you should now repent. Now, there, uh, Eliphaz doesn't get very specific on that accusation. He's kind of dancing around the area of that accusation. But the other two uh, two friends definitely make the accusation at Job. Again, Job till, still tells his friends, tell me specifically the sin 
that I have done and I will repent. And the, the friends don't. The friends just say, Job, you're guilty because you're suffering. You're guilty because you're suffering. You did something wrong. And the evidence of that is not our um, witnesses of, of your life, but the evidence of that is the suffering that you are enduring. What does that teach us about comforting somebody else? Uh, we need to be reminded that when we are comforting somebody else and they're hurting, they might lash out at us. And we have to be very careful about uh, the words that we say uh, that we are actually addressing the problem and that we're not fishing for some kind of problem. If somebody is hurting, somebody is suffering, we don't, we don't fish for the sin. We are there, first of all, to comfort them uh, with the message that God still loves them, not because of what they can perceive, but because of what's given to us in the Word. Uh, we talked an awful lot about that in Bible class, just the way that we uh, address uh, someone who is suffering we have to be able to take some of the arrows of their anger and not to take it personally, as Eliphaz appears to have taken it personally. Now Job will respond, chapter 16. Job responded, I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. We like that phrase, miserable comforters. Is there any end to your windy words? This is going to go back and forth. They're going to accuse each other of speaking words without any kind of meaning. It is just going to be uh, air uh, coming out of their wind, out of their lungs, uh, with no good whatsoever. What provokes you to respond like this? I could also speak just like you. If your lives were in the same condition that my life is, I would weave fancy words against you and shake my head at you. But instead, I would build you up with words from my mouth and comforting words from my lips would ease your pain. Now if I speak up, it does not lessen my pain. If I hold back, how much of my pain goes away? <laughs> so Job is basically saying, if I were in your place, friends, I wouldn't be accusing. I would be, tr- be trying to comfort. And then now just talking to you, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really help me at all. Or shutting up doesn't help me at all. I'm still in pain. And now he's going to transition um, right to God. So as we get through these conversations between Job and his friends, Job is going to spend less and less time with his friends and addressing what they say and more and more time with God. With the exception to that is in chapter 21, when he finally addresses this whole concept of you're, you're suffering, therefore you've done something evil. Job will eventually uh, address that. But, in, but for now, he is addressing his God. Surely he has worn me out. You have devastated everyone close to me. You have made me shrivel up, and this testifies against me. My emancipated body stands up and is a witness against me. His anger has torn me. He has been hostile to me. He has gnashed his feet at me. My opponent glares at me with piercing eyes. People have opened their mouths wide against me. They have slapped my face with contempt. They have ganged up on me. God hands me over to evil people. He throws me into the hand of the wicked. When I was at ease, he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and has ripped me to pieces. He has set me up as his target. His archers surround me. He pierces my kidneys and has no pity. He pours out my bile on the earth. He breaks down the walls in many places. He runs against me like a warrior. I have stitched sackcloth to my skin. My horn is stuck in the dust. My my horn is stuck in the dust, by the way, uh, is a reference to strength. 
we're not exactly, this is again a worldview that uh, we're not familiar with, is when they're talking about uh, God, sometimes in, in the Old Testament when he talks about God breaking the strength of the proud, um, it, it, he would talk about it in terms of uh, breaking his, his horn. And so when we're looking at the book of Daniel, for example, and some of the beasts who have really uh, long horns, uh, this is a, a picture of strength, a picture of ability. And Job is saying, I, I don't have any strength. I have no ability. I'm just stuck there in the dust. It's like my head is in the sand. I can't even pick myself up and have any sort of uh, will or, or gumption whatsoever. Verse 16. My face is red from my weeping. There are dark circles under my eyes, even though there is no evidence and no violence in my hands, and my prayer is pure. O earth, do not cover my blood. Let my cry never find a place to rest. Even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. These are just wonderful, awesome words. Job, in the midst of his angst against God, he knows that there is somebody in heaven who is advocating for him, somebody who is on his side and talking to this God with his uh, limitless uh, wisdom or his the reasons of why Job can't seem to understand the the God that is ununderstandable. The hidden God has this advocate in heaven. We know from the writer of Hebrews that this advocate is Jesus, and what a comfort that is that Jesus is interceding for us on our behalf there in heaven. It's a reminder to us that that's that's a reality that we have in Christ. That Jesus who um, is a human being, knows what we're going through, uh, knows our temptations, knows our weaknesses, and is appealing to the hidden God, God the Father. It, it, um, to a certain extent, all of these illustrations are are d- divinely given to us, but they're they're going to kind of fail if we want to take them literally. We're we're trying to look at them in a uh, the picture, the message that is being meant to be conveyed. What is being preached to us? That this God that we sometimes don't understand why he's doing things has, we have an advocate before his throne that is uh, talking to us on our behalf. So, um, if you want to compare the unknown God or the, uh, the hidden God and the known God, the God that who has revealed himself in the Bible and the known God, the, the highest point, the personification of that known God is Jesus Christ himself. Now, so, Jesus is advocating before us, the one that we know, the one, right, the one who loves us and sent us to his son, that's the one who's advocating, that's the one that's advising the God that we we don't always understand, one God who acts in our life in ways that we're not exactly uh, understanding why he does what he does. Now, when I said don't take it literally, I mean, just the fact that it is true, everything that we've read is true. It is true that there is uh, the God the Father and God the Son and God, the Holy Spirit, are working together. Uh, it's not as if they're working against one another, uh, okay? But it is it is meant to give us that picture when we are thinking of of God that we don't we don't understand why God is allowing this to happen. When what God has revealed in His Word is that He loves me and that He's going to take care of me, and so God gives us that picture. You know that God who loves you and is going to, and promised to take care of you, He is the one who's praying on your behalf in heaven. So if ever you think that your cause is not heard by God, that God has somehow um, hid his face from you, no, that is not true. The God of that loves you, the God who created the world, the God 
who uh, saved you is a God who is working everything for your behalf, even when you don't know it or when you can't perceive it. Let's get back to verse 20. My intercessor is my friend. My eyes never stop weeping to God. My intercessor pleads with God for a man as another human pleads for his friend. A few more years will come, then I will go the way of no return. So my intercessor, my intercessor somehow knows what it's like to be a human being. And, uh, so he's getting, he's, he's driving to, uh, Job chapter 19. I know that my redeemer lives. This redeemer who is both God and man. Uh, so just so you know that in, in Job chapter 19 is not the first time he talked about, uh, his redeemer. He's kind of leading up to this. And if you're looking at chapter 16 and 17, uh, together as a unit, the, the middle of it, is these verses of the intercessor. Okay, back to our text, chapter 17. My spirit is broken. My days are snuffed out. The tomb is waiting for me. Surely mockery closes in on me. My eyes must live with my enemy's bitter contempt. Please pay me the deposit that you require from me. Indeed, who else could guarantee this payment for me? You have hidden understanding from their hearts. Therefore, you will not let them win. If someone denounces friends for a payoff, his children's eyes will fail. He has made me a laughingstock among the people. They spit in my face. My vision is blurry from grief, and I am just a shadow of myself. The upright are appalled at this, and the innocent are aroused against the godless. In spite of it all, the righteous hold tight to their ways, and everyone with clean hands grows stronger. All right, then, all of you, please come and try again. But I will not find a wise man among you. My days have passed. All the things I have planned to do are ripped apart, including the deepest desires of my heart. They turn night into day. In the face of darkness, they claim light is near. If I wait hopefully for the grave to become my house, if I spread out my bed in the darkness, if I cry out to the pit, you are my father, and to the worm, you're my mother or my sister, then where, where then is my hope? Where can I find any hope for me? Will it go down with me to the barred gates of the grave? Will we rest in the dust together? What wonderful words from Job and also words of despair, words of challenge. The the wonderful word is that he's going to talk about hope. But it's actually going to be a challenge as, as well because he's challenging God. God, I'm hoping in you. Um, is that hope for nothing? Is my hope going to die with me when I die in the grave. Um, so that's the, the amount of despair that is in Job's response to Eliphaz. So that's Eliphaz. He's going to be the longest of them. And if you're with me to this point, this is awesome. Let's take another sip together of our favorite beverage. And just to pause here to say, if you have any questions, please make a comment uh, in the comment below, or you can email me at pastor.rudot at gmail.com. Uh, you certainly can uh, contact me face-to-face and ask me about uh, anything that we've talked about today. And if you like these videos, make sure to subscribe. I know it sounds kind of weird for me to ask this, but uh, having people subscribe to this channel helps uh, this channel actually reach more people. So that's the only reason why I asked to subscribe. I'm not looking for pats on the back. I'm not looking for glory and attention. I just want this message to get out to as many people as possible. So if you would, please hit the subscribe button. You don't even have to click the bell. Just click the subscribe button. You don't have to click the bell that, get, that notifies you 
uh, about when the next video that's coming up from uh, Emmanuel Shirley. Chapter 18, Bildad. So Bildad is going to be one who appeals to tradition uh, when he's talking to Job of the three friends. And, of course, he's going to be more direct than Eliphaz, uh, not as uh, as direct as the next friend. However, he's got some words to say to Job and some accusations, and Job is going to respond. So not quite as big as Eliphaz. So let's get to it. Chapter 18, Beginning at verse 1, Bildad the Shuhite responded, How much longer are all of you going to keep hunting for words? Come to your senses, then we can talk. Why are we considered to be like cattle? Why are we regarded as unreasoning animals in your eyes? You who tear yourself to pieces with your anger, do you expect the earth to be made desolate for your sake? Should rocks be moved from their place for you? So here uh, Bildad is saying, is the old is the order of things the traditional order of things going to change just for you, Job? Are you that different than everybody else who has come and lived on this earth? And everybody else who's come to, and lived on this earth, according to Bildad, is treated in this way. That if you're good, then God blesses you. If you're evil, then God uh, brings suffering upon you. And so he's going to go and very directly say to Job, you are suffering, therefore you have done something evil. So repent. Again, Bildad doesn't have any clue what sin Job has committed. He is just fishing for a sin. He's just looking at the external circumstances of Job as proof that Job is an evil person. Verse 5. The light of the wicked has been extinguished, and not a spark of his flame still shines. In his tent light becomes darkness when the lamp beside him goes out. His powerful strides are tangled up, and his own plans bring him down. Yes, his feet are caught in a net, and he stumbles in its webbing. A trap snaps at his heel, and a snare catches him firmly. A loose lies hidden on the ground for him. I'm sorry, a noose lies hidden on the ground for him. A trap is set on his path. Terrors frighten him on every side. They harass him at every step. His strength is eaten away by hunger, and disaster is waiting for him to stumble. He, it eats away pieces of its skin. Death's firstborn child eats away pieces of him. He is torn away from the safety of his tent. He is marched off to the king of terrors. Nothing that belonged to him remains in his tent. Sulfur is scattered over his dwelling. His roots dry up below and his branches wither above. All memory of him perishes from the earth. No one on the street remembers his name. He is pushed away from the light into the darkness. He is chased out of the world. He has no posterity or descendants among his people. Ouch! Ouch! He is... is leveling that right at Job, isn't he? Because Job lost all his children. He leaves no survivors in his place where he lived as an alien. Ooh, Job, you're not really from around here. Ooh, ouch. People in the West shudder at his fate. People in the East are overcome with horror. Certainly this is the dwelling place for an evil man. This is the place for one who does not acknowledge God. Uh, Bildad's position here really leads to false security. If things are going well for you, you might be tempted to think, I'm, I'm fine. God has no problems, no beef with me. And if, um, things aren't going well, then you would say, well, God's angry with me because I'm some sort of evil man that I can't change. I can't change this situation with God that there's this separation. There's this wall be- between us that can't be fixed. That's despair. Now for, for us and the message of the rest of the Bible lets us know 
that Jesus has lived and died in our place to, to, to uh, heal that damage between you and God. So if ever you feel that that damage between you and God is um, is there, that there is distance between you and, and God, yes, confess your sin, but then also hear his forgiveness. Go, go, to, go to a pastor, go to a Lutheran pastor, go to a confessional Lutheran pastor and confess your sins and then hear his wonderful forgiveness. That's the, the message that God has for you is that the relationship has been repaired. God has saved you and now you, uh, are his child. Yeah, it means your life here on earth might not be the best. There might be problems. There might be strife. There might be burdens that you have to bear. But in all of it, you have your Savior who is with you. You have Jesus who is going to walk beside you every step of the way. You have a community that Jesus wants you to be a part of, the community of his church, and that church will help you, and, and uh, it should help you, and be that, that uh, church that cares uh, and assists you and um, uh, walks with you as you are suffering. Now, chapter 19, the great build-up to the greatest chapter. It's the center chapter in the book of Job. If you look at, if you take Job and separate it like you do with Hebrew poetry where the, there's a topic in the beginning and a topic at the end that match and you go backwards, the middle of the chapter is, the middle of the book of Job is chapter 19 because we have this wonderful phrase of Job. And there's also a reason why pastors, when, I re- when they're reading Job chapter 19, whether it's at Easter or at a, at a funeral, is that they don't read the context be- before and after, because before and after you have um, Job's despair and Job asking God why. And uh, this is a beautiful picture of what sometimes happens for the Christian, is that they have this wonderful confession of faith, while at the same time really struggling uh, with God and this un uh, the 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 hidden God, the God that they don't understand, the God who is active in this world in a way that we just can't figure out. How do we how do we come to how do we wrestle with the hidden God and the God who is revealed in His Word? And Job gives us an example of of, of both. And we see the comfort for Job is not in understanding the unknown God or the hidden God. But the comfort comes from going to the revealed God. What does God reveal to us in his word? So chapter 19, beginning at verse 1, with some comments from me as we go along. Then Job responded, How long will you torment my soul? How long will you crush me with words? Ten times now you have insulted me. So ten is always a number of completeness. So if we're looking here as poetry where not everything is to be taken literally as if there's ten times they talk to him, but if we think of it, a number of completeness, that this is all of the, everything that you have said is essentially the same thing. Uh, you, you've unloaded on me everything you really want to say, and you're, you don't have anything more. You're just saying the same thing again and again or in different words. Um, or you're unmasking the pleasantness of the word, or, the, or you're unmasking the, the tactfulness of the words. If in, in the beginning they implied that Job was an evil man because these bad things are happening, and now they've actually outright accused him of being an evil man, labeling him I, him as a evil man. Verse three, back. We're back at verse three. But you are not ashamed that you are treating me so badly. But even if I were actually in the wrong, my error would remain my own concern. Now, again, Job, um, the Christian church is there 
to encourage one another, to, to correct, rebuke, and encourage. Here, Job is essentially, he has whatever shred of appreciation he has for these sons, for these friends of his, is completely gone. Um, and he has no use for these friends whatsoever. Verse 5. To be sure, when you lord it over me and you hurl my disgrace against me, you should know that God has denied me justice. He has trapped me in his net. Listen to me. I cry out injustice, but I get no answer. I call for help, but there is no justice. Again, he talked to his friend for a very little bit. And now it's all about God, uh, addressing God. He has blocked my way so I cannot get by. He has brought darkness on my path. He has stripped me of my honor. He has taken the crown off my head. He tears me down on every side until I am gone. He uproots, uproots my hope like a, like a tree. His anger burns against me and he regards me as his enemy. Together his troops advance against me. They build a siege ramp against me. They camp all around my tent. He has distanced my brothers far from me. And those who knew me treat me like a stranger. My relatives stay away. Even my close friends have forgotten me. Even my household and my female servants treat me like a stranger. They look upon me as a foreigner. I summon my servant, but he does not answer, even though I beg him to be gracious to me. My breath keeps my wife away from me, and I am repulsive to my mother's children. What an interesting picture of the torment of Job. Not even his wife wants to spend time around him because evidently he's got bad breath because of all of his problems. Or maybe that's something that Satan has actually afflicted Job with. Even young boys reject me. When I get up, they speak against me. My closest confidence shun me, and those I love have turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped with the skin of my teeth. You wonder where that phrase comes from? Job. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, you friends of mine, because the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me the way God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, how I wish that my words were written down. Oh, how I wish that they were inscribed in bronze, that they would be engraved in rock forever with an iron tool and letters filled with lead what an awesome picture Job is saying. This is a this is something that is absolutely true. I'm not going to last that long, but I want these words to last that long. Remember how Bildad was telling Job, Job, you're going to not have a legacy. All your children are going to die. No one's going to remember you. Da 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 da. And Job is like, I just want this to be remembered. Not me. Not my accomplishments. Not the things that I have done. Not uh, oh, Job was a good guy. We should have a the Job Memorial Highway where we. We make sure that everybody remembers the name of Job and make sure everyone every year has some sort of celebration to remember Job. No, this is what Job wants people to be remembered, want um, people to remember. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand over the dust. Then even after my skin has been destroyed, nevertheless in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him. My own eyes will see him and not as a stranger. My emotions are in turmoil within me. I know that my Redeemer lives. We sing this uh, as one of our popular hymns to sing on Easter. Redeemer has that idea of the, the Goel in the Old Testament. Somebody who, if let's say you lost your possessions, you lost your home, 
there was a family member that was labeled or identified. This is the redeemer. He's going to help buy that property back, redeem that property back so that you can have property again, so that you can have a livelihood again. And this picture of the Old Testament redeemer is, is given to us by God to illustrate the great work that Jesus does buying us back. We were in debt to God. We had lost everything. We had nothing that God would say is valuable. We, we owed him a perfection and we couldn't do it. But now we've got a redeemer. We've got a family friend. We've got someone who identifies with us and says he's going to buy us back from the judgment of God through his life, death, and resurrection. And this redeemer, as Job says, in the end, he will stand over the dust as he's reflecting on his own death and that eventually he's going to turn back the dust, that he's got this redeemer who's going to live forever, who is going to also give him a resurrection from the dead as well. In verse 26, then even after my skin has been destroyed, nevertheless, in my flesh, I will see God. Again, why would you want to see God if you're angry with him? Well, that's because this is the side of Job that is hopeful. The side of Job that wants to have this close relationship with God, that that loves and appreciates him. This is the faith that God has worked in Job's heart, a faith that leans on God for everything, for salvation, for providence, for everything. So at the at the one time at the one moment he's got those he's wrestling with the hidden God and I don't understand him and I can't figure out why and the revealed God the God who uh, has revealed himself to me as one who's going to save me and going to give me this resurrection he he in this moment here in Job chapter 19 that what this is what he wants to uh be preserved for all time is that because of his redeemer he is going to live again So that's why, end of verse 27, my emotions are in turmoil within me. How my heart yearns within me, the NIV 84 says. So he perfectly encapsulates, he's got these two things going on at the same time. The despair and also the hope. And he does not want the hope to fade out. He doesn't want his despair to overrun his hope. He does not want uh, the sinner in him to overcome the saint that God has made him to be. Verse 28. If you say, what can we do to pursue him? And he is the root of his own problems. Then you should fear the edge of the sword for yourselves. The wrath brings the punishment of the sword so that you will know that there is judgment. Here, Job is throwing a shot across the bow. You guys think that I am the root of my own problems, that I am the cause of all of this evil, you should watch the words you're saying because this Redeemer is going to stand on the, on, the, on the earth at one time and everything is going to turn into dust. All of his enemies will be trampled under his feet and you don't want to be one of those enemies. So that's why pastors don't read the verses before and after uh, Job 19, why you only have this little pocket uh, of verses because uh, of the threat of Job and at the end and also the despair of Job at the beginning. So that's chapter 19. Let's take a pause there for chapter 19. Oh, and uh, again, throughout this, all of this, you can feel free to pause at any time. I suppose you could probably be drinking your favorite beverage while I'm talking um, because unfortunately we don't have a format where we can talk 
uh, together. Again, I, I don't intend this to be just this one-sided conversation. I would like this to be a beginning of a conversation. If you have any questions, any insights, write them down below. Um, you can email me also casting nets. Huh? I'm thinking of my podcast, pastor.rudot at gmail.com. Chapter 20, Zophar. What's important about Zophar? Zophar is a younger one. Not quite. If uh, Bildad didn't have the tact, Zophar definitely doesn't have the tact. So he's going to be very forthright with Job. Then Zophar, the Namathite, responded, This is why my troubled thoughts make me respond again, and why my thoughts are racing through my mind. I heard a rebuke that insults me, so my spirit prompts me to respond with understanding. Oh, man. My spirit respond, prompts me to respond with understanding. Look at those those, those digs at Job. Um, you don't know anybody that does that, right? You don't wear those, those uh, what is that called, passive-aggressive or uh, backhanded compliments. Anyway, moving on, verse 4. Don't you know this? From ancient time, from the time when Adam was placed on the earth, the triumphant cry of the wicked has been short-lived, and the joy of the godless lasts only a moment. Although his arrogance reaches up to the skies and his head touches the clouds, he will perish forever like his own filth. Those who saw him will say, Where is he? Like a dream he flies away and he cannot be found. Like a vision during the night he flutters away. An eye catches sight of him, but it does not see him again. His place will no longer look at him. His children must take restitution to the poor. His hands must give back his wealth. His bones were once filled with youthful vigor, but that vigor will lie down with him in the dust. If evil tastes sweet to his mouth, and he and he tucks it under his tongue, if he hoards it for himself and he does not let it go, but savors it on his palate, his food will turn into cobra venom in his stomach. He swallowed wealth, but he vomits it up. God makes him expel it from his body. He sucks the poison of cobras. The fangs of a viper kill him. He will not see the streams, the rivers that flow with honey and cream. Without digesting it, he gives up the produce for which he labored. He does not enjoy the wealth for which he traded because he has crushed and abandoned the poor and he has stolen a house he did not build. His stomach is never filled. He cannot satisfy his desires because now there is nothing left for him to eat. So his prosperity will not endure. Even when he has plenty, distress catches up with him and misery grabs hold of him. While he is filling his belly, God will send burning anger against him, and it will rain down on his body. He flees from iron weapons, and he is pierced by a bronze arrow. He pulls the arrow out of his back, and the shiny point comes out of his liver. Terrors come over him. Complete darkness is lying in wait for his hidden treasures. A fire that needs no fanning will consume him. It will destroy everything that survives in his tent. The heavens will uncover his guilt and the earth will rise up against him. A flood will carry away his house, sweeping away his possessions on the day of God's wrath. This is God's sentence on the evil man. This is his inheritance decreed by God. So we have Job's wonderful confession in chapter 19, and we have Zilphar's response of telling Job, you know, that's not your heritage. Uh, you're not going to enjoy uh, standing on the earth and being victorious with your Redeemer. That's not your fate at all. You are an evil man. You actually, you didn't build that. You had your house and possessions. You didn't build that. You didn't do that. You stole it. So Zilphar is um, making wild Wild accusations at Job 
that are not true. He's making wild accusations at God as if God responds so quickly to the evil man. The evil man is, it eats something and it does something evil and God responds just like that very quickly, uh, with some sort of punishment or judgment, which you and I know isn't something that actually happens, does it? I mean, we look at the evil in the world and we see that it doesn't seem like anybody's doing any kind of any kind of retribution from God. There's, they're not experiencing any problems from God. Now, God does, uh, for the Christian, might allow some bad things to happen to discipline them, but it's not, usually sometimes it's not in response to a particular thing that we have done. Maybe it is just a uh, condition of our heart that God says, you know what, I'm going to help that individual be more reliant on me through this. And it is not a punishment for what we've done. It's not a punishment for what's going on in our heart. It is a God who has uh, had uh, has us in his hands, but he wants to make sure um, that we are still there, that we don't fall away, um, that we we uh, draw, draw closer to him, that we, can I even say this, that we experience the love of God more. Isn't that true? When things, when everything is taken away from you and you just have God, doesn't God become that much more? When you really have to um, depend on God, when you really have to sit there and go, "I, God, I got to trust you on this one," and it, and it works out, or God, I got to do the right thing here, and um, God is there for you in some way, shape, or form. So. God disciplines us so that we are drawn closer to him, that we rely more and more on his promises, more and more on his revealed word. Chapter 21, Job finally responds to this whole line of thinking of, if you are evil, therefore you will suffer, that suffering is proof positive of evil. Job blasts that out of the water in chapter 21. Then Job responded, listen carefully to my words. That is the kind of encouragement you should give me. Put up with me while I speak. Then after I have spoken, you may resume your mocking. So remember how Job said, well, if I don't say anything, I'm still in pain. And I don't, and if I uh, do say something, I'm still in pain. Job is uh, taking the higher ground here and saying, "What? listen, I'm going to give you some real encouragement. And, uh, uh, but the encouragement that Job is getting, giving them is actually a rebuke of their whole um, approach to Job. Is my complaint against a man? Why shouldn't I be impatient? Look at me and be shocked, and then put your hand over your mouth. When I remember all this, I am terrified, and horror makes my flesh tremble. Why do the wicked keep living, reach old age, and even become stronger? Their descendants are firmly established in their presence, and they live long enough to see their suffering, their offering, offspring. Their houses are far are safe from fear, and God's rod does not strike them. The wicked man's bulls breed without failing; his cows deliver calves without miscarrying. Their toddlers frolic like flocks, and their children dance around. They sing to the accompaniment of hand drums and lyres. They celebrate to the sound of a flute. They finish out their days with prosperity. Then they go down to the grave in a moment. They say to God, keep away from us. We know your ways, but we find no pleasure in them. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what benefit do we gain from pleading with him? 
but I know that their prosperity is not in their own hands. So I have distanced myself from the way of life of the wicked. How often is the lamp of the wicked extinguished? How often does the disaster that they deserve come upon them? How often does God in his anger dole out their fair share of pain? How often do they are they like straw blown by the wind, like shaft, like a windstorm whisks away? And of course, the answer to all of those questions of Job is not very often, which is the point that Job was going to tell his friends. You think that suffering means that you're evil or that suffering means that God is punish, punishing me for evil. Look at how, how throughout the world, evil people seem to be doing just fine. People say God stores up a man's punishment for his children, but he should repay the man himself so that he experiences it. Let his own eyes see his condemnation. Let him drink from the rage of the Almighty, for what does he care about his household after his death when his allotment of months has run out? So again, people say, well, God, it doesn't make sense that God would uh, uh, withhold punishment. He should do that punishment right now when the person is still alive. And, and the answer to that is that God has given a threat in his word. There it is. He's given a threat in our consciences, our consciences, are supposed to be working though. They don't always work, especially when they don't have God's word in their life, but there still is something inside of them saying that there is a God up there that's going to punish them for doing something wrong and they should make them, make themselves right with God. And the whole premise of the evil people in Job is that they don't really care. They, or these people actually know God, but they, you know, God, stay away from us. Uh, we, we know what you're going to say and we, we really don't want to hear it. Okay, so anyway, uh, let's keep going. Verse 22, can anyone teach God knowledge since he judges even the most exalted ones? One person dies with vigor in his bones, completely secure and at ease. His body is filled with fat. Again, that's the worldview of of the ancient Middle East is that, you know, if you had uh, some something on your bones, that's a sign of prosperity. His body is filled with fat and his bones are rich in, with marrow. Another person dies with his soul filled with bitterness without ever tasting anything good. Both of them lie down together in the dust and worms cover them both. Oh, I know your thoughts and your schemes to harm me. For you say, where is the nobleman's house? Where is the tent which was the dwelling of the wicked? Job says, I know what you're saying. You think you could say those things at me and as if I'm not understanding. I'm exact, I'm knowing exactly what you're saying, that my children are the reason why and their death is because I was wicked and I taught them wickedness and all of that. Um, anyway, verse 29. Why don't you question those who travel the roads? Why don't you acknowledge the lesson they learned? Job is saying, go, go travel the world and you will find that people um, uh, that are wicked continue to survive and do well. They say that the wicked man is spared from the day of disaster, that he escapes the day of raging fury. Who denounces him to his face for the way he has lived? Who repays him for what he has done when he has carried to the tomb when a vigil is kept at his burial mound? The clouds of dirt from the stream bed are sweet to him. Anyone follows his funeral possession, a crowd of people marches ahead of it. So how can you comfort me with your useless words? There's nothing left from your answers but fraud. So here, Job, finally finally answers the position of if you are suffering, therefore you have done evil. And Job basically says, go travel the world. You'll find out lots of evil people do just fine. They don't seem to have God's hand in a very personal way in their lives. Um, but it is true that God is a God who's going to bring punishment on the evildoer, just not in this lifetime. Suffering is not 
uh, in an indication indication of how God feels about you. So you did it. Six chapters, six chapters, really good chapters. Well, maybe one good chapter, chapter 19, and a couple of verses of chapter 16 where Job talks about his intercessor. But lots of good information for us to consider uh, how we should treat someone who is suffering and also um, some good advice for us when we are dealing with someone who is both at the one time struggling with the hidden God and at the same time um, trying to figure out how God revealed in his word, what's our path of comfort, not to to speak for the hidden God, the God who doesn't always reveal why he allows certain things to happen to his people, but appeal to the God that we know, the God who has revealed himself as the Redeemer, the God who has revealed himself as the one who came to live a perfect life, die on the cross, rise from the dead, and give that resurrection to you, the one who paid the price for your sins so that God would no longer punish you, that's what you should focus on. That's what gives your comfort as it gave comfort to Job. So thank you very much for your attention. We'll see you next week or on the next video on the next section of the book of Job, Finding Peace on an Unpredictable Path.